Okay, three to one, everybody clap. Three, two, one. That's the most unsynchronized game. <laughs> Ready? Let's go. Three, two, one. Oh, that was so bad. Okay, never mind. Okay. So I'm sure most of us would have had this dilemma before where whenever we get injured or when we are dealing with muscular aches and pains, you might not know who to look for to help you resolve your problem, right? You can go to a Western doctor, you can visit TCM, you can see a chiropractor, you can go to a physiotherapist, you can even do things like sports massage, right? And there's even an occupation called osteopaths out there that can help you with your problem. So there are many options available and I think it can be quite confusing sometimes. So to help you answer at least a part of this problem, in today's episode, I invited two physiotherapists to share more about their occupation and what physiotherapy specifically can do. Okay, so the two guests I have with me, I'm very happy to have uh, Janine and Alex with us here today. Hello. Say hi. Hi. <laughs> hi, everyone. Janine is a physiotherapist with experience working with various populations in local uh, in a local restructured hospital and is currently working in a private hospital. So she mentions that she's mainly doing inpatient kind of uh, work right now. And Alex is currently working as a sports physio and strength and conditioning coach at BodyFit Sports and Physiotherapy Clinic. And he's previously involved heavily in the local football and handball scene as well. So Alex also has an Instagram at the Writing Physio where he shares about his knowledge uh, regarding physiotherapy. So if you guys are interested in these kind of things, you can also go give him a follow and support him as well. All right. So welcome to the show, Alex and Janine. Thank you so much for taking time off to come. Thanks for having us. No problem. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So as I, as I mentioned in the intro, right, my sort of motivation for wanting to do this podcast is because being in the healthcare industry, right, in TCM, there are all these kind of complementary ways to treat all these problems at the periphery as well, apart from TCM. And sometimes we don't really understand these other forms of treatment and that makes it harder for us to, you know, make our treatments complementary or, you know, in fact, if let's say the treatment is better for us to recommend patients to the better alternative lah. so it's also for myself to better understand what your job is as physiotherapist so that we can you know better help patients to achieve their goals all right so today we're mainly talking about physiotherapy lah, and its role in healthcare uh, in, in the context of singapore and and uh, even in other places as well okay so maybe let's just start off with a not so heavy question like why why did both of you decide to pursue you know this path and, the, and what is the journey like to becoming a physiotherapist? Oh, every story begins at the beginning like that. Okay, cool. Uh, I think for me personally, I've always uh, been involved in sports. Uh, I've never been a fantastic sportsman. So they say if you can't do, then you try and help other people. Uh. So I think in that sense, I got injured quite a fair bit, especially in rugby. Uh, got quite a few shoulder dislocations, uh, four on my right side and three on my left. Uh, so the last one on the right, yeah, the right, Shoulder dislocation, that's where my career basically came to a grinding halt. Uh, I couldn't play rugby anymore, and that's where I had to go for lots of physio. And finally, doctors said, you know what, came out so many times, let's go for operation, we're going to fix it, and go for lots and lots of physio after. And that's where I think it kind of started for me. Uh, I kind of found out what physiotherapy was about, you know, things like rehabilitation, and subsequently down the line, there was strength conditioning, and basically 
trying to build up um i would say what what i lost lah, and try and get back into sport again so i think that was my main uh, motivation lah. Mm. okay Did yeah you? so for me it's slightly different i mean i'm not a sportsman by training previously so um basically after jc you know when we're looking at what we want to do i kind of didn't want to do something that's very desk bound to me like working in the office quite mundane especially like while waiting for like a level results i did work in the office for a while and i was like this is not my thing at all so uh yeah working in the healthcare sector was probably like um like what i thought i could probably look at so like i like there's a bunch of like allied health uh jobs that i was looking at kind of deciding oh these are quite interesting maybe i could give them a shot so with uh phys- phys- there's physiotherapy occupational therapy uh radiography courses available in singapore i decided to kind of pick one of them to see how it goes so that's how i got started in physiotherapy actually and then i guess once i started the my 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 liking for the occupation kind of grew along the way yeah okay so okay so let's go on to the first more um direct question which is what is a physiotherapist and what do you guys actually do? Like maybe define for us the role that you guys have. Okay, so, so let me start, yeah. So basically a physio is someone who is trained to kind of understand uh, how our body moves, how our body functions, okay. So in the event that it's not moving or functioning as it should be, that's where we do like a series of tests and assessments to kind of identify what is possibly contributing to that impairment or the dysfunction. And then through the use of maybe some of our, I mean, in our toolkit, we have, you know, things like mental therapy, exercise, some use of uh, some what we call modalities, which is maybe some machines that might help with pain relief or to improve like function. Some technology, we might try to help to solve the problem. Yeah. So, um, I mean, if you look online, there's a lot of websites that kind of tell you what a physiotherapist does. So a lot of people kind of associate us with people who do uh, exercises and, uh, you know, kind of give massages to kind of relieve pain. I wouldn't say that's all wrong, but um, the treatment is not always the same for everybody. So it doesn't mean whenever you walk into a physio clinic, you'll definitely get either one of those two. It depends on what's your situation. Yeah. Alex, you have anything to add? Mm, I would say it really depends. Like physiotherapy is quite a big, uh, I would say, umbrella term for. I mean, I mean, yes, uh, there are different types of physiotherapy, uh, different specialties for that matter. So I mean, like for myself and Jenny, Jenny is more inpatient. So inpatient, uh, you have anything basically from cardiopulmonary, so dealing with the heart and lungs. Uh, you've got things like neuro rehab, so like you know stroke, you know like stroke, traumatic brain injuries, spinal cord injuries, and things on the line. Uh, it's got orthopedics as well, so that's usually things like joint replacement, fractures, or you know, like polytrauma. So basically, you know, getting into, let's say industrial accident or car accident, you know, get all your bones all broken and fractured, and that's where you know orthopedics comes in to you know put you back in place. Yeah. Um. And for the outpatient setting, usually more musculoskeletal, so you know the usual knee pain, back pain, neck pain, and especially the whole work from home thing going on. Uh, and also for sports injuries, so you know ligament tears, you know, like I was saying, like, you know, playing rugby or handball. Or football for that matter, yeah, you know, sprain your ankle, you know, or play uh, running or sprinting and things like that. So there'll be more outpatient stuff, lah. Yeah. So I think depending on, I'll say, which specialty you're going to, you know, for and also condition based, I'll say, uh, you're going to get a very different uh, set of things. So in terms of uh, assessment and treatment, and your sessions are going to look wildly different. So uh, stroke, I'll say, someone with a stroke, 
uh, his session is going to look wildly different for someone, let's say, uh, you know, ACL care. Yeah, so in that sense, that's how it's going to differ from, I would say, condition to condition and I would say service to service. Yeah. Yeah, like when I tell my friends what, what I do at work, they're like, huh, how come you have to do that as a physiotherapist? So to put things in, like, uh, for example, okay, let's say I tell my friend, well, today I had like a wild day, you know, someone was, uh, came in for a lung infection, he's very sick, and then the doctors call me in to come and like help to clear out his lungs. And my friends will be like, oh, how do you clear out his lungs? So basically, um, you know, we're also in charge of making sure that, you know, the patient's able to breathe well, you know, uh, you know, maintain maintain their saturations. You know, recently the government gave you that little monitor to measure oxygen level, right? Yeah. So um, if let's say a person's oxygen level is dropping and all, we are trained to kind of go in and assess, you know, what could possibly be causing that drop in oxygen level. And if let's say one of the problems could be maybe their lungs are filling up with liquid or phlegm, uh, we are also uh, trained to kind of help to remove it through this practice called suctioning, you know, whereby we put a tube down your throat and help you to get out the phlegm. Yeah, so my friends are always very shocked, like, huh, why does a physio have to do that? Because in their mind, they're really just thinking that all I do is like massages and exercises for my patients. Yeah, so that's one thing that's like, I, I mean, uh, in our field of physiotherapy, that's really just out of the normal uh, uh, image that we have, yeah. So I think other than that also, other than treating, um, people who obviously have injuries we also do a bit of health promotion uh injury prevention so it's not always for people who are unwell or who have injuries uh you could be well we are also trained to kind of teach you how to live your life more healthily uh and how to prevent any injuries if let's say you're an athlete and maybe you want to start on like a like to improve your 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 uh, exercise capacity or your your performance, we might teach you how to go about doing that safely and uh, efficiently. Yeah. I think to sum it up so, quite elegantly, mm -hmm. like I think physiotherapy covers, a, let's say, a spectrum. So in this spectrum, maybe there are three main checkpoints. So maybe I'll say sickness, uh, wellness, and then there's performance. Lah. So depending on which end of the spectrum you are, I would say different services that you, know, you could enlist us for. Uh, and then, of course, the treatments vary widely. Lah. So in the wellness, of course, I mean, if you're looking to get from wellness to performance, definitely we can look into things like performance testing, you know, teaching you how to sprint better, you know, better running mechanics, uh, you know, getting you, you know, stronger, like, you know, getting your legs stronger so you can sprint faster, jump higher, and things like that. But of course, if you're in the illness, you know, spectrum of things, you know, you've got lung, nasty lung infection, lots of, you know, phlegm and, and things like that. That's why, you know, physios like Journey are going to help you, teach you breathing exercises, teach you how to get rid of that phlegm, Know, by yourself it's not always about suctioning uh, and i would say yeah that's where you know her role becomes really important and that's where i of course take a back seat because you know i'm more of the you know getting your leg stronger but definitely at that stage when you're really ill with a lung infection no one's going to think about sprinting let's you know let's worry about walking first instead of sprinting yeah, instead of running yeah so that's how i would say you know how we complement each other in this like grand spectrum of things like yeah hmm, interesting i i never you know got the impression that uh, you know, the role that you guys play in the sickness portion, uh, that never really came to mind. And I think that's what Janine, you are mainly doing right now, right? The inpatient kind of stuff. Yeah, correct. I, I do I do enjoy working in that field actually because uh, for me, I find, I find that part uh, more exciting and uh, I do enjoy working with such a population actually. Yeah, it's a bit scarier. 
yeah. yeah. So maybe so maybe you can share like you know what what is the the work that you do or what are the common problems that you see on a general kind of day to day basis like in your work because I think not many people know so. Correct. Correct. So I mean in. In Singapore, different places, different organizations, uh, I mean hospitals, you know, we work a bit differently. Typically, the bigger hospitals, when they have more staff, uh, they tend to break up their teams into different specialties. So let's say there could be a team taking care of mainly elderly patients, elderly patients who come in for like things like falls. Um, they might have some uh, age-related uh a condition, let's say they come in for hypertension or, you know, dizziness, those kind of things. So that group will kind of take care of patients like this. Then there's also people who take care of uh, patients with, like I said previously, orthopedic injuries. So patients who are just out of surgery to fix a broken bone or fix a broken ligament or to replace their joints. So those, those physios will work on helping you get out of bed after your surgery, get you up walking, teach you some simple exercises to kickstart your Actually, you should not be kicking and start your journey at that point. It should be previously already. <laughs> but yeah, to kind of get you started on exercises after your surgery. Uh, and then there's also people who will be working with neurological conditions. Okay, so like like uh, he said, stroke. Okay, uh, even traumatic brain injuries. You know, let's say you get into a very bad, nasty car accident. Something hits your head so hard and it causes bleeding in your brain. It'll definitely cause some physical impairments if it's serious enough. So we work to kind of help to restore your function as much as possible, if not teach you ways to kind of, uh, you know, uh, compensate for your lack of ability to do a certain action. And uh, spinal cord injuries, okay. So in this population there, it's not only, you know, like we said, old people, even young people can get into an accident and get a spinal cord injury. So they work with a range of age groups. Yeah. and uh like the other one that I was mentioning earlier, the cardiorespiratory kind of teams, they work with patients who have like heart problems, okay? They work with patients with lung problems, not just pneumonias, which are more of acute infections. They could have like chronic pulmonary conditions, like uh if I say they were smokers in the past and then now they have some lung disease which we call like chronic obstructive pulmonary disease. So they tend to be a bit more breathless. They their bodies produce a bit more phlegm. So we work with these guys to, if they're in an inpatient setting, to kind of improve their effort tolerance and help to prevent any complications uh, of, of, their, of their condition. Yeah. So in such bigger hospitals, they tend to split up the teams like that. Uh, whereas in my setting, because the, the, the team's a bit smaller, we tend to do all in one. So uh, basically, we'll see through the information that we get from the doctors and nurses, the case notes, and kind of decide what exactly the patient needs. Sometimes it's not necessarily just like, oh, you only need lung physiotherapy, you know. You might need more than more than that. So we'll determine what you need and kind of come up with like a treatment plan for you in that sense. Yeah. Okay. I want me to ask you a more interesting question. How important do you think physiotherapy is in the context of a patient's recovery? from your own experience or from the experience of people around you? I think it really depends on what is the interesting question because I think when we think of recovery, uh, a lot of people, of course, I mean, okay, let's put this way, the different kinds of uh, aspect to recovery. The first one being, of course, I'll say more towards the medical aspect of things where let's say, uh, you know, in the ICU, you're fighting for your life, you've got you know, all kinds of like medications strapped to you, uh, you've got you know, a ventilator, you know, that machine that helps you breathe and all. And I don't think at this point of time, I think physiotherapy is 
I would say perhaps leading towards more, you know, how that spectrum, like, you know, that, that acute and I would say that illness uh, end of the spectrum. And that's where I would say our physiotherapy is largely more geared towards probably, you know, maintaining that, you know, bronchial hygiene and make sure their lungs are clean uh, and things like that and making sure we can get rid of all the phlegm and stuff, you know, in your lungs. Uh, but I would say beyond that, uh, definitely in that state where, you know, you're sedated, you know, you're placed in a medically induced coma, definitely not going to be getting you up and walking or even trying. Because the whole idea is that we want to let you rest and let the body, you know, try and like, recover, uh, especially with all the medication and the induced rest. Lah. So I would say once medically uh, you're doing better, then of course we can move on to bigger things lah, like trying to move your hands, your legs, and of course trying to get you, you know, sitting and getting out of bed for those postural muscles to make sure, you know, you can sit up by yourself. And of course, bit by bit, we take little steps, uh, literally, and to, we can hopefully take you all the way to where you were before. Lah. So definitely important, uh, but I would say it's not the, the be all and all of recovery. Lah. The other thing of it is like, I would say it's a teamwork, a team effort kind of thing, where it's, I wouldn't say like, oh, this is the most important thing in the world, no, it isn't. Lah. Uh, that's why I would say we work with other services as well. So I mean, medical team, like doctors, uh, nursing colleagues will help us a lot, of, a lot of other things as well and things like administering medication, feeding, dressing, and things like that. Like. And of course, at different phases, you know, there'll be other colleagues that weave in and out as well, things like speech therapists who you know, help patients communicate better. Uh, you know, people like occupational therapists, these guys, they teach you, you know, how to live again, you know, how to button your clothes, you know, how to brush your teeth. These are simple things that we don't really think about. But I would say these are little steps in terms of recovery as well. So I wouldn't say definitely not the I wouldn't say, yeah, I would say everybody plays a, a role in this recovery. Like. It's not like you know, one service is bigger than the other or, or you know, or someone's better or, or more important. Like. Yeah, I would say everybody you know, contributes. Like. Yeah. I think, I think to add on to that, I think also with, you know, how healthcare has kind of evolved along the way, you know, with knowledge on what a patient needs to get better, they have kind of uh, broken down the healthcare system into many different specialties to kind of make the whole process more efficient. So I think in the past, you know, like, I don't know how many hundred years ago, like, maybe just one person could be doing everything, you know, like a person could be diagnosing and giving the exercises and even teaching the person how to talk, okay? But right now, they've recognized that, you know, to make it more efficient, you need people who are specialized in these different different areas. So definitely, I would think that physiotherapy is, is important to a certain extent. But like Alex said, it's a team effort. So uh, there are some things that we know that we can't always do or can't always uh, make an effect on. So that's when we might refer the patient to our colleagues in the healthcare system, be it like the doctor or even a speech therapist or or, or, or occupational therapist to kind of assist with whatever we are unable to provide. Yeah. Does it really help? Like, is it, you know, do you really see patients having a very significant improvement or do you know that if they don't do it, it will definitely slow down their rate of recovery? This is something that I'm quite curious about. La. I think in physiotherapy, I mean, recovery, uh, like progress is always tricky. It's multifactorial. Uh, mm -hmm. I think you brought a big one, which is compliance, you know, even like, since I, I, I mean, even imagine, I like, you know for TCM, uh, regards to things like medication, people go like, oh, the, oh this, it's so bitter, I don't want to drink it. But I mean, that's the, that's the very thing you need. I mean, for us, it's like exercise, like, oh, I don't want it, don't like it. And as a result, I mean, you're not going to recover. Like, we always need to get patients buy in or for them to understand the process. Uh, so I would say education is quite important there. Uh, and for us, I would say sometimes, uh, I mean, Jenny mentioned earlier, like physiotherapy is about assessment as well. Uh, an assessment, I find generally your assessment findings also help to drive uh, you know, a diagnosis. If you are you know, not assessing well or right, 
or maybe perhaps we miss a couple of things, then perhaps I'll say uh, it could be something worthwhile reassessing re to make sure you, you didn't miss anything. Because uh, sometimes I feel uh, if, you got, if you haven't got the right diagnosis, sometimes the treatment doesn't work. I mean, likewise, I imagine in you know, TCM, uh, likewise as well. Uh, so I'll say assessment definitely helps you uh, inform your treatment and you know, a right diagnosis probably will bring you a lot better results. So, I mean, yeah, that's the first thing I can think of off my head. Lah. So getting a right diagnosis uh, and also things like compliance. Yeah. Hmm. So definitely, I would say, I mean, with the patients I've, I've worked with, uh, I would say physiotherapy definitely works uh, without a doubt. Uh, it's just that, you know, I think depending on, I would say, while we try and mitigate all these little factors like compliance and getting buy-in, uh, I mean, to the best of our ability, we try and max out all these other things first. Lah. And if it doesn't work, then I would say maybe either one, try and relook that diagnosis again, do a reassessment and always something you know that you can't handle or you know you're not the most appropriate person, maybe you might want to try referring up to either some kind of maybe complementary uh, service, maybe like TCM, like for example, or maybe even uh say maybe even going back to the doctor again to see you know whether whether they missed something in terms of diagnostics like those they, they need some imaging like x-ray, MRI and things like that, or maybe even CT scan, you know, something that you probably missed. Lah. Yeah, or could have missed just to make sure we clear everything lah. yeah leave no stone undone basically correct so i think i mean i also think it matters uh based on what your condition actually is so there are things that are very straightforward and most likely the physiotherapist will tell you yes we can definitely help you in this aspect like let's say if you went for like a knee replacement it's quite obvious to most I mean, us definitely, but most people that you definitely have to do exercise after that in order to reap the benefits of that surgery. You know, you can't expect to go into surgery and just get your joint replaced and not have to do anything and you'll be cured. So for such things, yes, definitely I feel that physio is effective in these conditions, you know, simple, uh, straightforward orthopedic surgeries. But when it comes to things like, you know, neurological rehab, Yes, there's a certain amount of like improvement that we can expect from the patient, but sometimes we might not always achieve like perfection because it really depends on how your your injury was to be even begin with. Like everyone could have a certain stroke in a certain part of their brain, but different people are affected differently in that sense. So to a certain extent, the effectiveness is not always guaranteed in such situations. But we will try our best to definitely maximize your function and maximize your improvements from therapy. And there will come a point that we might tell you, okay, this is when things will start to slow down, but you are, uh, I mean, it will be good if you still continue to try the exercises and see whether or not it does improve along the way. And generally, patients will do, they do understand like they can't achieve like they're 100% again, and then they start to learn to live with the their residual disability. And that's also what we hope to achieve for them also. Yeah. I was going to say physiotherapy is not always, yeah. I would say, curative for you know, focusing so much on recovery. Uh, sometimes it's about maintenance as well. So where we try and keep them at a certain level of function because they've got some kind of uh, uh, what degenerative kind of disease, like from here on, as best as possible, we try and keep them active, you know, so they can maintain things like their muscle bound and their strength as best as we can, uh, rather than, you know, let them waste away very quickly. So it's more maintenance rather than curative or more about recovery at this juncture. Uh. So like Janine said, it's really dependent on what kind of conditions you have. Yeah. Mm, yeah, and I think it's quite true for TCM also, uh, you know, to, to a large extent, we are not uh, superior beings. We are also human. So there's also a limit to I guess what we can do lah. But I just wanted to find out 
if you know in your line of work do you find value in in what you do and i think from the answers i got i think it, it definitely you know seems to work at least for for most conditions and even i feel like at the very at the very least right it, it's better than not doing anything or letting your condition just regress right so if there's something Correct. that works right i think it's it's worth trying out like whether it be physio or tcm yeah i think i think generally if your physio is trained and they know what they're doing they'll try okay they'll try to treat you and then there will come a point if let's say they really feel that they can't help you anymore then they will refer you to whoever who might be able to help you and obviously along the way they'll help you to manage whatever condition that you might have let's say pain you know teach you how to manage the pain at that point of time might not completely cure your pain but at least when the pain comes you know what you need to do to minimize it yeah okay thank you okay so now maybe let's go on to alex lah. so he's doing more outpatient work right and i guess from what i've seen you do a lot of work with you know people like athletes who are trying to get stronger or trying to you know work through injuries and things like that so maybe you can share a bit more about your work also uh from my end of things i would say yeah definitely right uh more especially in this current setting more athletes uh and then these can be cases where it's you know say non-surgical so let's say uh they busted a ligament but it's not a complete tear so some of these guys they say oh i don't want to go surgery because it means downtime for me i can't compete anymore i gotta you know get back fast so that's where we try around conservative treatment so non-surgical and that's where we try and strengthen up the muscles again. Uh, and of course, try and bring down the pain, strengthen the muscles, get back that joint range. Lah. And I'll say at different stages, we might try and increase the difficulty. So one moment, you're probably you know, learning how to balance again. The next moment, you're probably doing a couple of balance drills. Uh, next moment, you're probably trying light jogging, a little bit of lunging here and there. Uh, probably a couple of single leg hops and single leg jumps and then so on and so forth, like, all the way to, you know, back to, let's say, example, playing volleyball again. Where, you know you're doing maximal jumps, uh, trying to spike the ball, uh, trying to dive for you know for for, for you know for ball and things like that, like, especially on defense. So I would say it's quite dynamic, uh, and there's quite a lot of I would say things to think about like, when it comes to recovery. It's not it's not you know no longer just looking at one joint per se. It's not just, just the knee, but you got to try and make sure they are bulletproof from you know, all aspects, like, from the hip, the ankle. And of course, I mean down the line, there are other things that you might want to think about when it comes to recovery. It's not just uh, making sure we get in exercise but at the same time trying to make sure that they look at things like sleep making sure they sleep well they eat well make, make sure they get their protein intake in uh, and then at the same time you know during their downtime make sure they don't get bad i mean some patients uh, i would say tend to stress eat quite a bit so you know one moment you're competitive at the next moment you're using crutches and that's where i think we need to make sure that you know their, their mental well-being is in check as well and you know that they don't have uh, i would say uh, say come out of like maybe destructive uh, or behaviors like on the end so let's make sure that their mental well-being is taken care of as well so it's quite a quite an interesting scope like, i would say especially when working with athletes like high performance athletes so but otherwise yeah and then of course the surgical ones i would say uh, the recovery is a bit different especially in the acute stages you know like going for let's say acl uh, you know reconstruction so initially you gotta teach them how you know use their crutches properly and i would say i would say this part where it's a tech team again where, you know, Janine might have seen a patient in the hospital, you know, after ACL, uh, let's say reconstruction surgery, and then, you know, she might hand over to me and say, hey, you know, I got this lad here, yeah, you know, he's uh, went for ACL recon, uh, here he is now, yeah, I taught him how to use his crutches, you know, how to do all that basic, uh, you know, muscle activations for, you know, the quadriceps and things like that. I taught him all his range of motion exercises, you know, he knows how to bend his knee now, like it's great, uh, hand him over to you, so he's all yours now, take him away. 
Yeah, so let's take it away. And then that's where I, I take over and let's say we try and progress the therapy as well based on, you know, the, what the doctors kind of want as well in terms of milestones. You know, by a certain, let's say a certain week or a certain month, they should be achieving certain milestones. For example, you know, being able to walk without crutches, being able to extend their knees fully. And then subsequently, bit by bit, that's where, you know, depending on how, I'll say, the, the, the graph is healing, we'll try and push appropriately, lah push them along you know in that direction of hopefully getting them back to sport as soon as possible but also safely as well so i'll say that's what my work is at this current juncture yeah and i think this this kind of links to a question that we uh, jenny kind of brought up before the talk which is the issue of passive versus uh, active recovery so i think for for you guys i believe that you are more focused on like active kind of recovery correct me if i'm wrong I'm not too sure whether there is a correct kind of framing, uh, but definitely in the in terms of TCM, it's definitely more uh, more passive lah. So basically, you come in with an injury, you come in with a pain, we try to help you to minimize the pain. Very straightforward, right? Uh, just help you stop the pain, help you get back up and going as normal. Yeah, but in terms of like injury recovery, I think this is something that TCM lacks lah. Because most people that come to us from uh, for TCM they most likely won't have surgery or like if let's say they have surgery already they would have gone through the system of going through physios and whatnot yeah and only if they that doesn't work then they come to us to resolve the pain lah. so in, in that sense we don't really see much patients that we have to sort of treat from the ground up like you guys mm. from from the start until the end and so i think that that that's where the the biggest um different lies lah. But, you know, hearing what you say, I think there's a very interesting area where we can actually cooperate in the sense that the active and the passive benefits of each discipline can be sort of integrated. And I think that can actually yield very good results for patients. I think this is some potential to look into in the future. Yeah, definitely, definitely. So the, the thing about this active and passive thing is not that we mainly focus on active therapy, but I think we do believe that for things to have a long-lasting effect, uh, you know, we don't want you to see us forever, you know, like basically when our patients come in, we don't hope that they stay with us through their life and we see them through old age and stuff like that. I mean, unless necessary. Nah. But basically, in, it really depends on your condition, you know, uh, and even the patient's mindset. So for some people, if let's say they're in really severe pain, they're very uncomfortable, um, no movement, they can't even do a single movement without feeling intense discomfort, then of course we do have our toolkit of some passive treatments, kind of just to ease off that pain first to get the ball rolling. So at least once that is done uh, and they are able to tolerate a bit of exercises and stuff, stuff like that, we will kind of moderate exercises to give them to get some movement going. Because uh, to us, movement is very important. And if you don't move, you will definitely have mm -hmm. pain. So uh, even simple simple things like, you know, for patients with back pain, just getting them to go for a short walk will actually even help with the pain management like quite a little bit already. So passive and active, eventually we want to move them towards a, like maintaining an active lifestyle to kind of prevent the pain in the, down the road. So kind of a balance of both in that sense. We will employ our passive treatments whenever we need to, but we will incorporate the active treatments as much as we can also. Yeah. My my mentor used to used to tell his patients that if you you are not working, you just don't come and see me. You just lie on the bed and wait to die. 
<laughs> so he, in, in that sense he also he also respects that that idea of you know you need to move lah. if you don't move eventually whatever problem you have will either come back or just regress because uh, yeah. movement is important correct correct I, I think it really also boils down to what kind of patient or what's the patient's mindset or what they really think lah. some patients are very averse to pain they're very averse to movements they really feel like, if they feel like passive treatments is how they're going to get better, you do have to kind of uh, give them a little bit of it so that you won't scare them away and slowly try to kind of, I wouldn't say completely change their mindset, but to kind of get them to buy into your idea of how they should be moving to to improve the problem. So um, yeah, in, in such cases, usually like we're not so aggressive for this kind of patients. Lah. Cause we also don't want to scare them away and make them think like physios like physios are like the worst kind of people on earth that only wants to cause pain, you know. So yeah, that that is basically it. Yeah. So I mean, in, in TCM also, um, in various injuries, we also advocate movements, lah. So for example, the most classic one is the frozen shoulder or hisi capsulitis, right? We we also advocate exercise apart from passive treatment. Or even things like knee injuries, we advocate people to do like quad strengthening exercises, um, calf strengthening exercises, hamstring stretching, things like that. I mean, it also varies from physician to physician, but at least for myself, I I believe in that aspect. Lah. So I think, you know, to a certain extent, TCM also has elements of that kind of active uh, recovery aspect, but definitely not as much as a physiotherapy lah, because we also rely quite heavily on the the sort of passive treatment aspect to basically just to help with the pain yeah and we believe that once the patient is pain free then he or she will move more and that will be you know good also lah. but also we also want to most of the time find out the root cause of the problem right so if it's let's say a posture issue that is causing their neck pain or shoulder pain, then definitely there is something we also need to address apart from just treating the neck pain, lah, because if not, it will just keep coming back. Yeah, but having said that, right, I mean, I think my experience and the experience of other physicians may be quite different. Some physicians, maybe they are more focused on just, you know, they just see where it hurts and they just, you know, focus on the, the area. They don't really care so much. Yeah, so I guess in the TCM world itself is also very dependent on the physician itself, lah. Because while the treatments are quite standard, whether it be you know massage or acupuncture, cupping, the 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 areas around that, you know, the exercises, the um the conditioning and the the therapy, the counseling, these are all aspects that are very very variable among different physicians. Correct. I mean, it is only natural for us to imagine that to avoid pain, we don't move and then uh, hopefully you'll get better, you know. I mean, even previously, you know how when you sprain your ankle, quite common you'll hear people say like, okay, you need to rest, then you need to ice, you need to compress, and you need to elevate your leg. But I mean, our science has moved towards the direction such that they recognize that uh, complete rest in bed is not ideal, complete rest from a movement is not ideal in situations that say like a sprain. Of course, if you break your leg, you don't go and move the bone until it's fixed by the doctor. But then like, yeah, basically if it's like something like a sprain, you know, it's not the end of the world. So usually like people will, will um, uh, say that you're supposed to rest. But in fact, the most ideal thing right now is actually to um, optimally load the area. So a new acronym that people actually use is like police, you know, it's supposed to protect the area. You optimally load it, you ice and compress it as you require and elevate it so that you can slowly recover. Yeah, so it's just the direction that our science is moving towards too. 
which also brings me to the question, like, you know, you said like TCM, some physicians, they actually give like a bit of exercise or like postural correction. Like, do y'all learn this in school actually? Or it's like from physician to physician, you all kind of learn it on your own? I wouldn't say we have a course for that or like we have a module for that. Most of our, the, the peripheral like techniques, like exercise, all these, I would say there are some in textbooks, but most of them are through experience and through learning from the more experienced physicians, like passed down. Yeah, because I don't think that is a very big part of TCM in the past, but people start to recognize now that it's important. Yeah, like for example, frozen shoulder, the, the example I gave, right? If you don't move it, it's never going to get better. So people start to recognize that and that, you know, treatments alone maybe is not enough to, to solve the problem. Ah, okay, okay. That that's nice to hear. I mean, that's also like you said, where our professions can kind of work hand in hand. I mean, with our experience, the physio's experience in movement and exercise, and your experience in you know pain management, that's where I think we can definitely work hand in hand to treat a patient optimally. Yeah. Hmm. So maybe now we can move on to the next question, which is. Uh, is there any you know misconceptions or any struggles or challenges that you guys face as a physiotherapist uh, for people to know so that it can make your job easier and it can make their recovery better so <laughs> uh, I, think, I think the first one that I think people need to understand is that physiotherapy like all things uh, needs time uh. Um, mm-hmm. think like, oh, you know, I go to a physio today and you know, tomorrow my back pain is going to go away uh, for people are very, feeling very disappointed. Lah. So I would say that you need to align expectations and, and more importantly, have realistic expectations. Lah. You know, go for people today, your face not going to go away magically tomorrow. Uh, I think in this age where everything is so instant, you know, I want it now, I want it fast, I want it quick, yeah, I want it now. Uh, I would say that's not going to happen with pain now, or a lot of our conditions or, or issues that we have. So that being said, uh, I would say put, put in the time. Yeah, put in the time, uh, more importantly, trust the process. And then I would say if we got that diagnosis right the first time around, it's generally going to get better. Um, so that's the first one. So I would say yeah, managing expectations and or having realistic expectations. I think what Alex said is very true. Last like basically the patient needs to know that things take time, uh, and they have to be patient with the whole process because if you give up halfway, then you're only just gonna lose whatever you've just gained. Uh, but I mean, misconceptions-wise, I think it's just basically how we have been portrayed in media and from like, you know, some people watch TV, then they see like, oh, physio, like helping this old man off the bed, usually you walk on parallel bars, then fall down one time, then stand up, and then nothing happened, you know. Okay, I tell you, if that really happens in real life, right, your physio's kind of screwed, lah, okay? <laughs> so, uh, in that sense, yes, we do help people to get out of bed and walk if necessary, but we don't just do that. And we also don't just do massages, okay? So I think like we have already mentioned previously, it's a very diverse uh, service that we provide uh, that's very well considered and it's not just to, you know, uh, give massages. So yeah, that's that's one misconception that people tend to have. Um, Another misconception may be out to torture you and it's usually going to be very painful. one thing is for sure, if you have pain, definitely we might cause a bit of pain during the session already. Uh, but we try to keep it uh, as comfortable as we can for you. Definitely pain is not good, but uh, we cannot guarantee that you have no pain at all. Okay, So uh, yeah, don't fear the physio. If you have pain, 
voice it out and then they can work around it and see what else they can do for you to reduce the pain in your treatment session so that it'll be a more comfortable process. But I'll definitely say that if your doctor told you or if anyone has told you before that you're not going to get pain after you do a surgery, they're lying to you. <laughs> you definitely have some discomfort. That was the okay. one I was, yeah. I think a lot of people yeah. assume that, you know, my knee hurt. Oh, you know, um, for example, especially the older folk, I hear some of them say, oh, uh, you know, after I tong one sosu, I will no, after I go for this knee surgery, you know, I get my joint replaced. Oh, it's not going to hurt anymore. I can walk like my friend like that. Or like so-and-so told me it's going to be like this. But the thing is that a lot of them don't realize is after we do that joint replacement, uh, I would say that's where the real fun starts. I mean, fun for us, maybe not so fun for them. But that's where they really got to put in the work. Like, I would say, you know, put it, like, really uh, learning how to walk again, trying to straighten that knee, make sure it doesn't get stiff. You know, might even have to start walking with like a walking frame or like a quad stick or like a walking stick for a matter. It's not going to be the same, but think of a surgery or, you know, rehab kind of like an investment. Initially, you know, your bank account, you, you know, I was going to say, maybe drop a couple of zeros or, you know, you take an initial chunk of money out of that bank account first. But I would say it's a good investment because over time, there is going to be that return on investment. It's just they need to be patient, wait for it, and then... You know, subsequently, that's where you're going to see that fruit, you know, the fruits of your labor and more importantly, get that return of investment down the line. It's not going to happen overnight. It's not going to be tomorrow. It's not Bitcoin or Dogecoin. Uh, it's not going to explode overnight suddenly. And I would say time. Uh, the main thing is it needs time. Like with all good investments. Yeah. Oh, this is not financial advice, I'm just saying. Yeah. So uh, back on the topic of, you know, finances, right? I mean, on the real money aspect of this, people always think like, oh, physio is very expensive. Uh. So, oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, first things first, of course, it depends on where you see your physio. If you see your physio in a restructured, I, I mean, in the government healthcare system and you go through, you know, like a, 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 a polyclinic referral, then you see a specialist, then they refer for you for physio, usually in that aspect, it's more affordable, okay? Or if you're like NSF with like a nice little green card, you can get a bit of a government, uh, not a little bit, it's 100% government subsidy. Yeah, in that aspect, physio is not expensive at all. But um, take physio as like a, like Alex said, investment. Um, it's something that if you if you spend a bit of money on this, this physio, right, maybe you might be able to prevent health issues down the road that might cost you even more, you know? Like uh, maybe if you don't need surgery right now, phys- you can do physio for like maybe a couple of sessions and who knows, you might not even need physio eventually and that saves you a chunk of money already. Or if you start uh, exercising and maintaining a healthy lifestyle, then who knows, you might uh, kind of divert yourself away from getting diabetes, which will cause you a lot of financial uh, problems in the future because I mean, medications and all is expensive. So it's kind of like an investment for your health or so in that sense. So don't just look at the absolute cost of your physio. Of course, if private physio is a bit too expensive for you, there's also options for you in the government setting. Yeah. And it's not also about the, the financial cost, it's about the the opportunity cost to you if let's say you don't you don't put in the investment, right? It's not only gonna you're not gonna lose that positive gain, but you're also gonna probably have a negative loss. Because maybe your condition will regress or because maybe your surgery, the post-surgery recovery won't be optimal correct. and you might get even more problems after that. Correct, yeah. correct. Yeah, it's a small price to pay initially. Uh, and then down the road, of course, you won't need to continue seeing us anymore and you'll be self-sufficient. We'll teach you ways to manage yourself. Uh, only see us when you need to. So that's when the finances should be more stable by then and, it, and you don't have to worry so much of the costs. Uh. Yeah. 
Uh, yeah, okay. I think another misconception maybe is that they might need a doctor's referral to see a physio, uh, which like I said earlier, like if let's say you want to go through the subsidized route, then in that aspect, yes, definitely you need to have a doctor's referral to see a physio. Or if let's say you want to claim insurance for it, usually you have to have a doctor's referral for physio. Otherwise, you know, physios, uh, we kind of can provide primary care in that sense that you can just walk into a physio clinic, tell them your problem, and if they feel that they can help you, they will they will be able to see you on the spot. Uh, of course, if they're not busy, like, I'll just make an appointment with them. But uh, yeah, if it's not because of finances that is limiting you, you can definitely walk in to just see a physio without a doctor's referral in Singapore. Yeah, I know there are some private ones in like CBD area, like some physios set up their own clinics. So yeah, this is something that people can also just go directly, right? They don't have to go through. The oh yeah, it's, it's not just in CBD, it's all around Singapore right now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> There's a lot of physio clinics around now. You just go to Google and you search, there will be someone near you. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's of course important to have a to to like your physio and believe in what they do. So uh, like I said, you know, if things don't work out and you feel like maybe you're not like a uh, buddy with your physio, you don't really agree with the way they practice, then I mean, you're free to kind of go and find another one. It's an open market. It's for you to decide. You're the consumer. And if you don't like the service, you're free to find uh, whoever who might meet your expectation. Yeah. But on that note, don't go around physio hopping like, you know, like, like free and that. That's, that's not <laughs> oh, yeah, that's really. Well. <laughs> I want this to be next day, yeah, me, and then the next thing will be somebody else again. Yeah, so that, that's the risk area. Like. Ideally, we try and, like I said, trust the process. Uh, of course, have an informed discussion with your with your physio, and generally, if the treatment plan outline, you know, is something you can agree with, something that you know sits well with your health beliefs, then generally we're going to try and see it through, you know, to the end, lah. Yeah, unless for you know for whatever reason down the line, like, you know, this you think this isn't really working for you, then yeah, I'm not sure. I think we can have a chat about it, and really, if you think, yeah, making it sound like a breakup, but no, it's not not really a breakup, but it's professional breakup, lah. So let's say in that case. You know, you guys really can't see eye to eye anymore, or let's say for some reason, maybe you're moving away, or, or you need, you know, to, even that physio can of course hand over the care to someone else down the line. Yeah, you don't have to be stuck with one physio all the way, or especially you know, if you're not very keen on the treatment plan, or let's say there's other you know, circumstances, let's say you know, like distance is a problem, or you know, it's not near your workplace anymore, and things like that. I think recently with the whole work from home, yeah, we have a couple of clients, uh, you know, that live in the east. They say you know, it's kind of difficult. And they're really busy, uh, you know, executives that work for up to what, 12, 15 hour work days. And they say, you know, I simply can't, you know, make, I can't really make time anymore, barely get any sleep anymore. So they say, you know, say, okay, we get somewhere a bit nearer and things like that. Or maybe we can come back when, you know, from home is over, things like that. It's always negotiable. Uh, like, like Janine said earlier, you know, don't be afraid to speak to your physio, speak to your mind. Uh, and then, you know, we can always discuss and things like that and come up with, I would say, a better uh, working arrangement for both of us. and. So we can help you get the outcomes that you want. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. All right. So uh, I think we have just a few more questions left. Uh, maybe we go into some of the comparison questions. Okay, so the first one I have, right, is um, this question of acupuncture versus um, dry needling. Just want to get your opinions on it. Lah. Okay, because the reason why I want to ask this question is because um, recently there has been a lot of physios from my understanding that starting to do they are starting to dry needling right and the 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 practice of dry needling in in the in the practical sense the way they do it is actually very similar to acupuncture right so this uh sometimes creates this kind of impression within the tzn community that 
you know, are they allowed to do it? Is it safe for them to do it? Uh, then why must we study so hard to do it if they can just take a course and do it? Yeah, so maybe just get your opinions. You know, you don't have to say whether you're pro or against it or what, but maybe just your impression of what dry needling is and then whether or not you, you advocate it uh, for physiotherapists. Okay. Uh, okay, so first things first, right? Uh, dry needling is, or rather, for at least in the Singapore context, okay, uh, it wasn't something that was taught in school. So it's not the standard thing that we do learn in school that everyone will definitely be equipped with the knowledge on how to do it. It is usually like a post-graduate uh, cert, you know, or maybe like a little course that they have to attend to make sure that they are certified and they are able to perform it safely. Because it is a, in, after all, it's an invasive procedure whereby, you know, you can definitely cause harm if you do not do it appropriately. So uh, before you see a physio and do the, the try and dealing, just make sure that they are certified to do it. Okay. Otherwise, I think there is no law governing uh, us that says that we can't do dry dealing. Because, I mean, like I said, we are kind of governed by a council. So it, it does say that, like, if as long as we feel that the, the treatment is necessary for the patient and it is within your own scope of practice and you have the appropriate training for it, you can perform that service. So um, correct me if I'm wrong, but acupuncture works by needling the meridian points in the body, right? So it's not always where... Uh, like, you know, going right into the area of injury. You might be away from the area of injury, depending on whether or not that meridian point kind of links to it. Versus dry needling is something whereby they put in an acupuncture needle directly into what we call um, a trigger point, okay? So this, these are parts in your muscle that's actually like hyper-irritable, okay? And it's hypersensitive. And you can kind of feel it usually. It's like a little nodule in your muscle. It's like a little hard spot in your model, uh, your muscle. So this is usually caused, you know, when let's say you have a muscle injury uh, and then the muscle kind of releases some chemicals to kind of protect your, your, your body from uh, further damage. Uh, so dry kneeling kind of, they will kind of jab it into the, not jab it, lah, sorry, sounds so, sounds so <laughs> aggressive, you know. They will gently needle it into your, your muscle, okay, that trigger point, specifically over the trigger point. It's not a meridian point because we, we do not learn about meridian points. We do not know whether the, uh, where the meridian points are. We, we, we go by palpation. So we feel for the trigger points and then we will poke the needle into the trigger point. So, I mean, there are some mechanisms of how it will, re uh, will cause the, the pain to improve. Lah, you know? uh, there's a bit of like more uh, jargony information, but basically, you know, it, it says that it helps to stimulate some twitch response, whereby it causes some like pain relief effect. So it kind of like causes your spinal cord reflex contraction to, to relieve the pain lah, in that sense. It also helps apparently to regenerate the muscles a little bit because uh, when you poke the needle in, it might trigger some of our body response to start some healing in that area at the damage in the damaged tissue, and uh, and it also says that it causes some like uh, stretch to the structures in that region by needling the muscle, and lastly, the last proposed mechanism is that it does polarize the muscles it like electrically to kind of help with like tissue recovery. Yeah, so as to the difference in 
acupuncture versus dry needling, I actually do think that they are completely different in that sense. Lah. Since one is going right into the trigger point and one is going into the meridian points. So what do you think actually? I was gonna say maybe to the untrained eye it may look similar. I mean both I mean both require needles, but I would say uh I would say fairly different. I I mean from from the sound of it, like in terms of mechanisms. I mean I, I went for acupuncture once as a kid. I was probably what 15 years old. I was both in bowling back then and I basically I don't know, I, I basically kind of because in bowling balls, you know, you have like certain weight. So I had I upgraded a weight class, uh that's where I think it went from like 12 pounds to like 15 pounds overnight, I think one session. And it felt my whole forearm kind of seized up. So I went to like this, uh, my parents brought me to see this TCM guy in issue. And then uh, that's where you know, he put a couple of needles in me and somehow my whole forearm started to relax. And I was like, oh, this is magic. Wow. <laughs> I don't know how it works, but it's working. So I was just wondering, yeah, you know, maybe at the same time while we're sharing about how it works, yeah, maybe you can just give us the mechanism and the lowdown of how, you know, how a, how a really tight forearm, uh, I would say, you know, when my wrist is really flexed, all my fingers are kind of stuck and I couldn't even hold on to like anything at all. How, how does you know like uh, acupuncture help with that they look the same uh i believe even the technique is is very similar the reason why it's called dry needling from my understanding is because they don't inject anything to your body so like normal injections like covid injection covid gel what they inject some fluid so that's like wet needling right dry needling is because they use needles without fluids so same thing as acupuncture we don't use any liquids and i so in, in that sense acupuncture can be considered dry needling as well but the fundamental theory or the principle behind those two are very, very different. Lah. And I guess that's where the, 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 the distinction comes. So dry needling, like what you mentioned, I, I think is more of just trigger point uh, focus, uh, targeted. Yeah. But for acupuncture, it's based on the foundation of the energy flow in the body, lah, the qi, the energy flow. So if you understand this concept of qi, you'll know that you know it flows through these uh, meridian channels or energy channels throughout the body. And acupuncture is, is to activate the the energy in the body to carry out that, that healing effect. Lah. I mean, obviously, they did some research with signs and, you know, they, they found out that it triggers some nervous response, some hormonal response in the body. But from a purely TCM point of view, the effect comes from that regulation of energy in the body. So, for instance, let's say you had that issue with the hand, right? So, you have a, yeah. maybe a blockage in the energy of the, the wrist. Yeah. So... We say putong tong la, so there's a blockage there in the area. So through the the needling, we help to open up the energies, and and through that effect, we help to solve the the problem. So fundamentally, they're very different. But actually, sometimes we also do, uh, what we call trigger point therapy. So there's this uh term in TCM called ah So basically, it means pain where poke where. So if you have an injury, we also do employ that kind of concept sometimes la. So in that respect, I think they're actually very similar in the sense that. Uh, if, especially if you're talking about pain management. Obviously, sometimes you have issues like, for example, you you have a sprained neck, right? you can't move your neck, then the physician, maybe he poked your hand. Yeah, so that will be very, very different and that will be more of the following the energy channels and, and things like that already. Lah. Yeah, but fundamentally, you know, in terms of the technique-wise, I, I believe they're almost the same. Lah. Yeah, so so that's why I want to find out about your opinions on Ranilia because in TCM, uh, acupuncture is actually very regulated because it is dangerous if you don't mm. pop properly. Like you all will probably know also. Lah. Especially in areas like the chest uh, and the back. Right? There's organs there that you can actually poke through and cause things like pneumothorax and a collapsed lung, things like that, if you don't do it properly. Lah. So, you know, that's, that's the concern with regards to, you know, physiotherapists doing 
dry needling, is it you know safe for you guys to do dry needling? And if it is, then uh, great lah. I mean, we have, I have no, I have no um qualms with that. But if it's not, then maybe that's something that should be looked at lah. Correct. So like I said, definitely there needs to be some certification. Okay. Uh, and I believe with certification and the physiotherapist knowledge of like anatomy of the body and how it works, definitely they will know the contraindications of, or, or, or rather they need to take precautions as to where they can needle and where they can't needle. So uh, make sure you have a thorough check of what your physio is able to do first, okay, before you accept the treatment. But I think the thing about dry needling and acupuncture is that, I mean, physios, you know, we we use dry needling mainly for musculoskeletal issues, okay? But I think for acupuncture, you guys are also able to kind of treat like internal, more internal uh, uh, problems in the body also, other than just like uh, muscular conditions. That, so I think that's also another clear difference that what acupuncture can kind of provide for you, correct? Yeah, so using that as the foundation, you can basically treat most issues, lah. the internal health issues, even things like cancer, uh, related side effects or like even fertility so yeah because of that fundamental difference that's why acupuncture can do these kind of various things lah yeah but obviously a lot of people still use it for pain management and even in pain management the concept is still the same lah even though it might look the same as dry needling correct correct okay then maybe just ask the next question what what do you guys think of tcm then you know, we, we, we have come to the conclusion that there are many um, similarities. La. I also feel that there are a lot of similarities between the professions. Okay, I know the Western scene is quite divided on TCM. Some they believe, some they condemn. <laughs> uh, same for TCM against Western and same for TCM against physio. I know that there are physicians who, I wouldn't say condemn, la, but they, they, they feel that, you know, physiotherapy is not as effective as what the physician himself is doing. Yeah, so I want to get a sense of, you know, what do physiotherapists, at least in Singapore, think of, of the TCM scene? Nah? Things first, things first, the temple type is a bit small, like N equals 2 here, that's just me and Jenny, and I can't speak on behalf of the whole population of physios in Singapore. Uh, but like I said, you know, from my own personal, ex- from my own personal experience, it's quite cool. Uh, with the whole forearm freezing out and all my wrist flexors and finger flexors all stuck, I would say possibly complementary. Uh, like I say, a big fan of the acupuncture, not so much a big fan of the, the bitter medicine that came along with it. I think I had to take it for a couple of days. Uh, but, <laughs> but I mean, I don't, like, that being said, uh, I don't, uh, things that are good for you, you just do. Uh, quite just do. So I would say possibly I can see uh, us having some, I would say, a complementary relationship. It's definitely not a yes or no uh, kind of thing or no one better than the other. I think that there are avenues for us to cooperate. So I mean, that's how I see it. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, as a kid, I've probably seen a TCM more times than I've seen a physio. In fact, as a kid, I've never seen a physio before. So, I mean, uh, you know, I sprain my leg, I go to a TCM. I sprain my wrist, I go to a TCM. Uh, what they do, you know, they twist, twist, crack, crack, poke a little needle here and there, and after that, I feel better. So, I wouldn't say that I don't believe in it, you know. It, 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 I mean, eventually, I did recover. Lah. But because, I mean, as I get, I get, I get more uh, uh, educated in science and stuff like that, um, it, it makes me question, you know, was it mainly because I rested and uh, didn't kind of provoke the, the injury on that joint? Or was it really purely the TCM that cured my wrist or my ankle sprain? So I think uh, because I don't really understand the science behind TCM yet, 
that's why I think I'm still a bit confused as to how much uh, it can help for certain conditions that I treat. Uh, but I do, I do feel that, of course, after learning more from your, from you, from you and your podcast, that it it actually might be able to complement our treatment, our physical treatments for our patient, especially for cases, you know, like, uh, chronic pain, uh, extreme, or chronic stiffness, tightness in our patients. Basically, chronic conditions that has not quite responded as quickly or as well to a physio. I mean, when a patient walks in the first time I see them, I wouldn't definitely immediately tell them to, okay, I think you should go and see TCM. Lah. It's probably after a period of treating them that I feel, okay, we might not be, you know, improving as fast as I hope they improve or or they are unable to do quite a lot of the basic things that I hope for them to be able to start on. Then maybe I might tell them to, you know, maybe they can kind of try out uh, complementary medicine to see if we can kind of speed up their recovery process. Yeah. Uh. I mean, I haven't gone to have a search of it, but I'm not so sure how much research has been done in the field of TCM. But I think in the reason why Western Western medicine practitioners might feel that you know TCM is they they don't believe in it is because uh in Western medicine they kind of emphasize a lot on evidence based practice, and if there's not say a lot of evidence in the TCM field yet, I guess you can't quite convince these people otherwise. Yeah, because anecdotal uh, uh, effectiveness is not as good as something that has been researched and written on paper. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's a, that's a good point. Lah. I mean, uh, you know, as much as we want to spread it and then we want everyone to believe in it, the, the fact that it's not proven to a certain extent, a lot of the concepts is is also hard to make people accept it. Lah. So the reason why it's so hard to prove is because of the nature of its... It's practice like the fundamentals are based on like they're not based on science right? the fundamentals are based on philosophy and based on things like laws of nature and things like that so because the, the foundation is already um like that it's very hard to put it into a scientific kind of setting and prove it right it, it doesn't work that way like. it wasn't created in that setting and so i don't think it should be it, it can be used you can use that same benchmark to to judge it or to measure it by it's very difficult and that's why Evidence still today regarding TCM and its concepts is still very few and very little. La. Most of the time, what people will do is they will just do some clinical trial. Like, oh, they, they do like 100 patients do acupuncture and then they see whether there's a significant improvement in pain levels and things like that. Yeah, so this is more or less the, the kind of treatments or the kind of experiments that have been done la, uh, with, regards to, uh, with regards to TCM. I was gonna ask in terms of TCM like literature and it comes to you know like you say things like experiments or even like like clinical trials and I would say would, would or the question rather would a lot of the literature happen to be in let's say like Mandarin or Chinese for that matter as opposed to you know, having English journals uh, for TCM is that the case or in in China they do have a lot of research um, in TCM yeah you you can find a lot of research papers regarding various aspects of various fields of TCM being conducted. Yeah, but they're in Chinese la, and most of them uh they are they are done by local they are local scientists and physicians. So I don't think it really gets spread out into the mainstream kind of scientific community. And so mm. it kind of gets hidden there. But I, I do know also of some of the more famous papers that actually came out and, and actually some of them are for TCM, some of them are like neutral against TCM. So to today there's still no definitive answer yet la, to many of these problems or questions. So I mean on one hand yeah. there's definitely yeah. issues with accessibility. So I mean on one hand there's that. 
I think at the same time, uh, science is always evolving. I think like I mentioned earlier, uh, I mean, just because, I mean, especially I think when it comes to patients, I think we think about you know, whether or not it works for that patient. If it works, it works. Uh, like I like to say sometimes. So, I mean, uh, I would say to each his own. I mean, with regards to how beliefs and things like that as well. So, you know, if, it, if it's definitely helping, then I think we probably want to you know, keep to it as opposed to saying, oh, it just doesn't work or, you know, there's no definitive evidence. I think a lot of it when it comes to, I think when it comes to science, uh, nothing is truly definite. I would say things change all the time. One moment is this, next moment is that. A moment the earth is flat, the next moment is not. Uh, I mean, and I would say bit by bit, we're going to find out more and more things about the world and medicine as well. So I was going to say nothing is set in stone. Lah. Hopefully, you know, I would say TCM down the line, especially I imagine younger practitioners like yourself, hopefully maybe we get a couple of English papers or something. I think that'll be quite cool. Yeah. Yeah. I think on the other hand also, I think uh, it's important that like, uh, hopefully like, when patients seek treatment, they don't just rely on just like, uh, you know, TCM alone. Uh, because I, I also do feel that there there might be certain conditions that might need a Western doctor or uh, uh, someone who's trained, you know, in, in Western medicine to kind of pick up and kind of balance. So they need to kind of, uh, maybe hopefully TCM physicians will be able to advise the patients accordingly as to when they need to like see a, a Western doctor. Because I, I believe like for you, at least, you know, you're trained uh, uh, definitely to to do do as such. Lah. But I'm not so sure about those like older physicians, you know, like they might not also likewise trust Western medicine as much as uh the western doctors trust chinese medicine so uh in that sense i'm not so sure when they will redirect their patients for further medical investigations because some things are quite time sensitive like let's say a patient could come in for numbness and weakness on one side you know and it could just very well be a stroke that's manifesting and if they go straight to the tcm first then that's when we lose a bit of this uh this critical window period to treat the patients so in certain conditions i feel that uh we kind of need uh to see a Western doctor first uh, before we start on TCM treatment eventually, if necessary. I mean, you, you said it all. Uh, I mean, uh, as, as much as possible, we will definitely try to refer away cases that we deem not suitable for TCM. So definitely uh, cases of chest pain, for example, or like uh, numbness, like what you mentioned. Or for patients with, let's say, uh, signs of a fracture or signs of a ligament tear, these are cases that we try not to see. Lah. We, we send away because we don't have the imaging and we don't have the diagnostic tools to do. Yeah, but you said it yourself. Lah. Sometimes, you know, uh, physicians maybe a bit more stubborn uh, and then they, they want to try or they, they don't like Western medicine. And so it creates this conflict. Lah. It's vice versa for Western medicine. Sometimes there are cases where, you know, obviously TCM is able to help, but they don't refer away because, you know, they don't want to. So, yeah, so these, these are the kind of problems that, that are inevitable la, with this kind of practice. I think also, also a lack of understanding from both parts, like, you know, the Western doctor or the Western the Western, Western medicine practitioners might not know when they are able to seek TCM for help, you know, when the TCM might help to assist with the treatment of the patient's condition. And likewise for TCM, maybe they, if let's say, I mean, for younger practitioners, definitely you'll know, la, but I think maybe some of the very stubborn practitioners, they really don't believe in Western medicine, then that's when they don't know when they need to refer out. Also, la. So it's just more of kind of knowing more about each other's profession so that we know what we can help the patient in. Yeah. Yeah, okay, so I mean, it's all the questions that I have uh, for you guys. Do you have any questions for me? 
so you say you don't really rely on diagnostic imaging to kind of assist with your diagnosis or treatment also, right? So uh, at what point will you, let's say someone who comes in for like a, like a painful ankle, they say they walk, walk then they twist the ankle. Lah. At what point will you refer them out to see a, a Western doctor? It's not that we don't rely on imaging, it's that we don't have the capabilities to... So most of the time, if you sprain your ankle, you come to our clinic. My clinic don't have x-ray or don't have an MRI machine for you. Ma. So correct, correct, what correct. we will do then is basically physical examination. La. So we, we do certain tests. If we determine or if we suspect that it's more serious than just a, a ligament or a muscle issue, like it's a fracture or it's a tear, then we will throw away. La. But if it's not, then we will just treat directly. And if let's say patient symptoms doesn't improve with treatment or it worsens, then that's the point that we will refer them away to a Western doctor. Okay, rather if let's say if you know that a patient has taken an X-ray or have taken has taken an MRI recently, do you think like uh you you it would be helpful for you to refer to it to assist in your treatment actually? Definitely, yeah. Uh, I mean, we're not exactly trained in like the full course of imaging, but we do have basic kind of experience in reading lah, especially the more common kind of conditions like spinal like the condition of the spine or like the common joints that are always injured. So even if we can't read the, the report, the, the imaging itself, we can always refer to the reports, which, which most of the time has the, the summary of the ideas. La. And by that, it can, can give us a guide as to what is the direction of treatment we should take. La. I mean, obviously, if the person has like a his ligament tear or he has a, a fracture, right? He will be put in a shoe or something really. Then most likely he won't come TCM ready. Maybe like five months later, if you take out and it's still pain, then he will come to TCM. Right. So by then, it's, it's also a bit safer to treat. Lah. Yeah. But in the initial stages, right, if let's say it's a more serious kind of condition, most of the time, we don't really see these patients anymore because they just go to a Western doctor and they get um, the treatments, either surgery or they'll do physio then then. Right. If they come back to us, it's because it's not that serious. So the Western doctor can't do anything. And so they come back for, for TCM. It's normally like that. La. Okay, yeah, that's it. So anyone who's seeing a physio or TCM, if you have already diagnostic imaging that was taken recently that's related to your condition, definitely do bring them in to assist in your diagnosis and your treatment. La. It will definitely help. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, mm. if, even things like uh, blood tests or like ultrasounds. Some TCM physicians who are specialists in that field can read those kind of uh, reports very well. Yeah, so, you know, medical reports are always helpful, especially if it's related to the problem that you are seeing for. Ah, okay, okay. So it's not just about just pulse taking and really physical observation. You also use uh, all these diagnostics to, to assist with your treatment. Lah. Okay, that's interesting. Uh, yeah, so, so when it comes to diagnosing problems, uh, are TCM diagnosis fairly similar to Western medical diagnosis? Like you said, frozen shoulder earlier, right? I mean, for for, for Western medicine, it's quite straightforward. You know, it's like frozen shoulder adhesive capsulitis. But is it something different that you guys coin it in TCM? Uh, for pain issues, I would say it's quite similar. We just use the Chinese name, like instead of the, the official English name. Because it's quite straightforward. Like if that, for example, ulna, ulna nerve injury is just there or like tennis elbow is just there. It's, it's, it's there, ma. it's an anatomy issue. So mm. we will use the scientific, so-called scientific name. La. Yeah, but if you're talking about like, you know, diagnosing internal health problems, 
then it's very different. Like we don't we don't say you have all, for example, stage one cancer or something like that. We diagnose the body type that you have. Lah. So that that is the that's a bit more different, especially when it comes to dealing with kind of body or internal health issues. We look at the body very differently from Western medicine, more holistic. So we we analyze the whole body, we we form a body type for the individual. So maybe for instance, the cancer patient post uh radiotherapy or post chemotherapy has uh you know very serious symptoms of vomiting, very weak, very tired, very low on energy. So we might diagnose that person with a body type that is maybe you know deficient in like energy, deficient in tea, deficient in blood. And so treatments will then be to address that issue of deficiency uh, to restore balance, maybe give herbs that can help tonify blood, help tonify energy. And by doing that, help to resolve their, their symptoms. Yeah, so internal health is, is very different from, I would say, pain. I think pain is, is still pretty much very um, similar to Western medicine because in terms of the, the so-called body diagnosis, we, we say there's only two types. Uh, either you have a blockage that's causing the pain, Tong, or there's like a it's undernourished, so purong So that's 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 very general. So we 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 like to use a more specific kind of uh, diagnosis, and that's very in line with I would say the Western side. Lah. So in this case, if it's a more peripheral kind of injury, let's say like an elbow or shoulder, generally the, the diagnosis, I mean, or rather the names that we use can be quite similar. Lah. So we can operate, let's say like like a physio referring to you. And I say, you know, my, my patient has a, let's say, like a ACL tear and things like that. We generally can kind of agree, like, what ligamentous tear is, and, and that basically that's about it. Like. But if it's, let's say, more internal problems, like things like the organs or that, that's how you all look at it differently. Is that correct? Yeah, you, you can say that. Yeah. ACL, we oh. understand. It's not, we're not going to say, like, your this energy channel break or what. No, like, ACL tear is an ACL tear. Like. We, can't, oh. we can't argue that fact. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. Well, I don't know. I didn't even know how to say ACL in Chinese. Like, ah, shut, shut, I do a hand over to you guys. And I'm like, okay, but it's glad, I'm glad that younger clinicians <laughs> are like, no, everything's in English. Oh, boy. Wow. <laughs> okay, I can see where you got it explained from. Yeah. Actually, on this topic I mean, about Chinese, you know, like, I think, I mean, I'm not a, I'm not a Mandarin speaker, like, a very fluent Mandarin speaker. So one of the reasons why I would avoid going to see a TCM, right, is because I don't understand the TCM physician. Legit, like half the time, like I'm staring at the person, like she's just telling me a bunch of things, right? Or rather the one that I've seen before, like the ones that I've seen before, they just tell me things in Chinese and I really don't understand them. <laughs> so it's very really hard for me to buy, buy into the treatment, you know, eventually. So I think it's great that more and more of you guys are speaking English to kind of explain it to me and, and so that I can understand a bit more about like how TCM is going to help me in my treatment. Uh. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I try my best to explain it simply, la, but the, the, the matter of fact is that if you don't believe in the, the foundation behind it, you're not going to believe it, no matter how well I explain it, la, because this is just how that the, the, the subject is built upon. La. Yeah, but if you do believe it, then I guess this is, uh, you know, the, the way I structure my podcast to, to give, like, the information in various, like, tidbits. I think this is one way you can learn about it if you're interested la, in the information. I think I think likewise for physio, like I said earlier, you know, um, we we can only do so much for a patient, but compliance is something that's so important. So if the patient doesn't quite understand why we are doing something or why we are employing this treatment to treat them, then 
the effectiveness is also limited in that sense. So uh, explanation, patient education, you know, breaking things down into something that's easy for them to understand is I think it's a skill that all clinicians need to kind of hone throughout their medical career uh, in order to get the patient to participate in their recovery process or so. Yeah. Uh, my my opinion and has always been that whatever works for you, just go for it. Lah. I mean, within reason, like if you have like a, like a terminal disease, don't go and go and see some quack doctor, lah, right? If if let's say Ayurvedic medicine works for you, TCM, physio, chiro, whatever works for you, just go for it. Uh, but obviously, if you know symptoms don't improve, always revert back to primary healthcare, lah, which is Western, uh, Western medicine, lah. And in in that respect, I've seen many patients who who some of them have not had any effect with physio, but I also have seen patients who tell me they go for physio and then they are cured, like their problem is solved. So I do believe that there's a lot of value in, in physiotherapy as well. I guess at the end of the day, it's about finding the match between the, the physician who maybe has some fit with you and also the, the condition. Maybe some are you know more suitable and then some maybe you need other kind of treatments to, to, to solve it. Lah. Yeah, so I think definitely I I believe that physiotherapy works and uh yeah, if there's ever a case where you know patients need it, I would definitely refer to to physiotherapy. La. Any any last words, Alex? Nope, I think well that was quite a discussion to be honest. Uh well, covered a lot of ground. Yeah, so nothing major on my end. Uh but I think maybe just one last thing I'm gonna ask, like do you find like let's say with this uh let's say new means of trying to promote like TCM, let's say, you know, by your podcast and with a lot of younger, I would say, clinicians like yourself coming on board, like, do you see like TCM becoming something a bit more, I would say, mainstream? And let's say in terms of, let's say, patient population, do you see that changing as of late? Like, do you see younger folks these days? Because, I mean, when I was a kid, when I was 15 or 16, like, when I was at the, uh, at, at the clinic, you know, clutching my forearm, I remember seeing just uncles and aunties and I was fair off this, like, bonbons and popos, and I was, yeah, I was, I was the only kid there. So have you seen it you know, changing like, you know, your practice now and all? Definitely uh, more young people are using it. So in the clinics, you see a lot of office workers, like office syndrome, like neck pain, shoulder pain. We see a lot of patients coming in with that. Or like, you know, common stress-related issues like uh, digestion issues, insomnia, right, stress-related problems. So a lot of young people are turning to TCM because they don't find an, an option with Western medicine, like just painkiller or like uh, some sleeping pills, right? So... They, they 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 turn to TCM to help them solve these problems. Lah. And uh yeah, so I think in terms of acceptance-wise, more people are willing to try it as to whether or not you know the the, the so-called environment in Singapore accepts it more in terms of the Western medicine and the ministries. I think that is still very far off lah, because of what we discussed about the, the evidence issue, right, with, mm. with regards to TCM. So that one I think is still very far off in terms of you know getting you know, the ministries to actually promote it and the Western doctors to actually accept it. Uh, but in terms of the local population, in terms of people actually using, I think, yes, there's, there's definitely a trend of more people starting to use it. Lah. And uh, it's also a good thing lah, because it, it sort of uh, verifies our treatment and verifies our efficacy in terms of treating these kind of more common problems. Lah. Hey, cool. Good to hear that there are younger folks in the clinic now. <laughs> yeah. People always think that TCM is for old people, but actually... The scope of TCM that we learn is uh, covers everything from even pediatrics to uh, geriatrics to everywhere in between. Uh, women's health, men's health, uh, general health, pain. So, you know, whoever 
you are whatever your gender whatever your age right if you want to see tcm there's actually and most of the time uh, a treatment available that can help you most of the time lah. yeah so i think that's that's the that's the option that people don't really know and, uh, and that's also my my point in creating this podcast also lah, is just to give people uh, uh insight as to what tcm does and to give them that option lah, that you actually have something that you can choose to try if let's say other things don't work for you yeah likewise i think for for physio i think i think a lot of the misconception is mainly just uh been just what has been portrayed online about you know what what we usually do so i think it's also important that uh other professions understand our not just the patients you know other professions understand how much a physio can help in a certain condition so that uh, we'll be asked to help as necessary yeah so i think it's good that we are sharing with each other what we can do so that we know when we'll be able to you know uh, maybe you should go and try physio or hey, maybe you should go and try tcm yeah okay i think i think that's all we have thank you so much uh alex thank you so much janine so Janine's working in uh in one of the hospitals here in Singapore. Maybe one day you'll you'll meet her. Oh uh, no, Alex. no, that's not a good thing if you meet me actually. <laughs> <laughs> don't see, don't Hopefully see. not. But if you meet me, then I will be of service to you. <laughs> yes. And uh Alex Alex works in uh, I think body fit physiotherapy yep. clinic, right? Yeah. yeah. So yep. maybe one day you can see him also. And uh, yeah, if if you want to know more about physiotherapy and, and some of the, the content relating to physiotherapy you can follow his uh, instagram lah. i think he shares some some information there his uh, instagram is at the writing physio okay so thank you all so much for for listening if you have sat through this very long uh, discussion and i hope you learned something also and uh yeah once again big thank you to alex and janine for coming i will see you guys on the next episode